Hello and welcome to the 3T RPG podcast. My name is Harrison Hunt and with me is Nick Lamley. Where am I? And of course, James Clark. This is a podcast all about tabletop RPGs, but before we begin, I'd like to thank those people who donate at patreon.com forward slash 3T RPG podcast and they donate at the Dreadlord and Devil King levels. That is Ace B, Julian Burnick, Ryan Wahab and Jason Duncan. Thank you for being part of the Dark Army and for living your darkest, dankest life. Darkest, dankest dreams. We've got some. We've we've got some great segments coming up for you guys today. Um, and let me tell you, we've we well, it's going to be pretty much the same format as as always. So I've got really nothing to add there. Wow, exciting okay, stuff there. Well, we're going to do feedback. We've got the news segment, RPG news. We got what you've been slaying, and we got the main subject, which is going to be was Gary Gygax actually a good game designer? Oof. Followed by your electro letters. Shall we do a back feed? That's- <laughs> yes. <laughs> back feed. Is that like when you like let food roll down your back so someone else can eat it at the bottom? That's right. That's a back feed. Sorry. Uh, that's what we're going to do now. I don't, I don't know what's going on. Right, feedback. The feedback side. The feedback side. Yes, bitch. The feedback side. It's the feedback section. Yeah, we take your comments and read them out. Yeah, feedback, bitch. So, the first one comes in from David Porter. He says, Hello again. I had some feedback on episode 60 the Indiana Jones RPG. I remember my friend owning the indie RPG in middle school and it didn't take long for us to come to the same conclusions as you guys did when it came to how bad the game was structured. But I never realised that there was a way to create your own characters so I took your advice and looked up the judge's survival guide online. Um, I should point out at this point, never take our advice. Um, there was that guy that had a, a quite a serious accident because of our advice. and. Uh, mm. Yep, we got sued. So, um, yeah, he says, he continues and says, there was a surprising amount of really good stuff in the book with solid and robust random adventure building tables that goes toe-to-toe with the first edition Dungeon Master's Guide. One part of the book I was surprised that you hadn't mentioned in your review was the list of combat statistics for animals because it's both extensive and wacky in equal measure. Eagles and hawks are considered the same animal stat-wise as are rhinos and elephants, but the magpie and the crow have been specifically deemed worthy for being statted separately. (laughs) I never realised that magpies were such a common threat in the pulp genre or that their combat manoeuvres are so unique that the other animals on the list just wouldn't do. There is also an entry for geese, which fills me with unadulterated joy. Geese are notorious assholes, and more games should feature them as antagonists. I'm one of those people that thinks there shouldn't be an Indy 5 movie, but Indiana Jones and the belligerent goose might get my arse in the seat. That said, <laughs> I really enjoyed the episode and the podcast in general. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, there is in Indiana Jones, mundane animals are a threat, right? Because he, d- he dislikes snakes. So yeah. what if you made your own unique character and, and he's like, why did it have to be geese? You know, I, I think I must have just missed that section in the book because I was... I thought quite thorough, but I must have missed the old section about the geese. Now, the next one comes in from a Redditor um, who is called King of Creepers. Oh, nice. That's a classic Reddit name. He's the king of them, Nick. King of the Creepers. If there's a a bush outside a school, he's in it. Oh, my God. (laughs) Well, that's not my words. That's his words. He told me. Anyway... (laughs) 
This is the weirdest feedback we've ever had, right? Because I posted our last episode all about conversions and stuff like that. I posted it onto um, an OSR group because obviously I talked about converting it to an OSR system. And um, this this guy, this was his response. Very nice. I prefer swords and wizardry. With my swords and wizardry universe I'm working on, I can dump anything into the game. Swords and wizardry white box. Swords and wizardry ruins of Arduin. Swords and wizardry white box gothic. Swords and wizardry... I can't even say it anymore. Ruins of Ronin. Skyscrapers and sorcery. White, white lies. Six shooters and wagons. White box zombies. Swords and wizardry. White star. Is he... Is he... Is he... Are you alright, King of Kip Creepers? Are you... Are, are you mentally challenged? He should change his name to uh, King of Catalogues. Yeah, that's uh-huh. it. He's... It, I think he might work for swords and wizardry. I was going to think? say, I think he does. Because all he does yeah. is just rattle off every setting available for the system. I'm going to start doing that on the... I mean, you know how much I dislike this official Savage Worlds Facebook group. I'm going to start going on there and just posting... Yes, yeah, so I like this very much, but... Uh, I also like Deadlands, Rippers, ETU, <laughs> Savage Ghostbusters. And just list them off. It's really weird. <laughs> the, the weird thing is, is that also King of Creepers, he's like sort of double-spaced, one of the lines. So White Star, Star Sailors, it's like that's the main event. I don't know what the fuck this guy is on, but I want a bit. Yeah. White Star, Star Sailors. Yeah. I don't know what actually yeah. that is. I know quite a lot of these are like, no, you know, one. OSR settings, but it's... Uh, yeah, well, thanks for sending us that weird list, King of Creepers, and um, keep creeping. Keep, yeah, keep keep, keep on creeping. creeping. Keep <laughs> there on we creeping, go. brother. <laughs> keep on creeping, brother. <laughs> Should we? Um, I don't know about you, but I'm hungry for some news. Oh, starving. Mm. Hellboy RPG announced. <laughs> All right. I thought I was. Well, I was hoping that would get get like a reaction from you guys, where you'd be like, <gasps> "Wow, are you not big Hellboy fans?" I like Hellboy. Don't get me wrong. Okay. But it's um. Don't get me wrong. So, what is it? Do you get to play Hellboy? Well, um, whether or not you get to play Hellboying is up for debate at the moment. But anyway, <laughs> the project is going to be headed up by Mark Langworthy, and I, I, I'll forgive you if you don't know that guy's name because I didn't. But um, he was he was the lead on Judge Dread and the Worlds of 2000 AD. Oh, decent man. So, oh. so he's, he, we know he can he can do good work. Oh yeah. It's being published by Red Scar. Um, don't know who the fuck they are, but they made a game called Devil's Run, which is a post-apocalyptic game. That seems to be their biggest thing um, at the moment. But this Hellboy RPG is coming to Kickstarter later this year. Now, here's here's the kicker. Here's the one thing I was a bit disappointed with, because I guess what you do is you play B B R P D. Is it B P R D? I can't remember. But the the uh, the organization Hellboy works for. I guess oh, you play yeah, those yeah, types yeah, of people. Yeah. Um. But it's going to use the D&D 5e rule set, which oh, is a bit disappointing. Why? Hmm. Well, I don't know. Um, so it's, it's going to be kind of a mod of that. And as much as I like 5e, it's a good fucking game. Mm-hmm. I think it's very suited to what it does. You know, Hellboy yeah. I don't see as a uh, as a dungeon-crawling type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, a bit annoying, but pretty cool. We're getting a Hellboy RPG, yeah. an official one, finally. Cool. Yeah, that is but, pretty cool. I will say this though, there is a Savage Worlds version of it out. So, of course, I, there is. 
yeah, so just if you if you want if you want Hellboy and you can't be bothered to wait, then then just get that. But yeah, they're going to be releasing um, some quick start rules as well very soon. But the next bit of news, the Ennies just happened and the winners were announced. I won't go through all of them, but um, Mork Borg did basically a clean sweep, winning almost every award except for shittest game because it got goodest game. Um, but no, for seriously, uh, Morkborg won Best Layout, Best Writing, Best Game, Silver, and Product of the Year. For those Bloody who don't know hell, what yeah. this Clear, is... Absolutely cleared up, didn't it? I mean, it got all the good ones as yeah. well. I mean, the yeah. thing is, if if there's if you don't... If, you know, some games that won, you know, Best Typeface or Nicest Pair of Dice or something. I mean, those <laughs> are the ones nobody cares about. But then you get this one, it won all the fucking good ones. And this is a... Um, fantasy uh game it's it's a game a very very light game it's more of a setting and it's inspired by doom metal so it's just dripping with misery and it's it's really quite cool actually yeah um Hmm. but yeah that's it it basically did a clean sweep and i can see why it is a beautiful beautiful book um i need to get it but it is quite thin and it is 30 quid so uh, that's that's why i've been sort of holding off on getting it and i know it's the quality that counts yeah, but it doesn't really sound worth it. But yeah, you know, you know, people t- people often talk about how the it's the quality over quantity, right? But yeah. then the thing is, if somebody released a one-page RPG but it was really nice and printed on solid gold, I don't think I'd buy it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Diana Jones was also uh, was also uh, happened. Well, that wasn't a sentence, was it? But it did. It did happen. And um, this year, the, basically, what they did is they uh, awarded the Diana Jones Award to Black Excellence in Gaming. Um, so mm. uh, I, uh, on the list, there was a lot of people that like uh, I, I haven't heard of, but that's because I'm an uneducated idiot. But of course, the one that everyone knows is Mike Pondsmith, who uh, was responsible for Cyberpunk 2020. Oh, um, right. He was yeah. on the list. Yeah, I mean, I mean that game is crap. But the thing is, is he also did Mechton, which is a really good game. So he's mm. he's been in the industry for years and years, and he's also um, been consulted on the new Cyberpunk video game as well, and obviously made Cyberpunk Red, which is coming out soon, uh, which is the new version of Cyberpunk, and hopefully it'll it'll be improved. But still, Ooh. yeah, black and black excellence in gaming. Well done, James. If if you, if there's ever a Filipino excellence in gaming. Me, I think you might. You want exactly. it? He wants it. <laughs> but, I, but are you? But is James excellent, Nick? That's the problem. Well, yeah, yeah. He's all right. <laughs> He's all right. It's like, fi- it's like Filipino averageness in gaming. You you might win, but excellence. I'm not sure. Yeah, good. I'm glad. So, nerds. N- the final bit of news today: Nerds International is over. Oh, what a shame. Yeah, <laughs> James. James. Um, but yeah, I think um, I just. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that happens towards the end that I don't I don't really want to get into. It was uh, both funny and also awkward. And but here's what I'll say: the thing is about um, Nerds International. If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't have had an audience for this show to begin with at all. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, um, they really really helped us in the early days, and um, we we got to meet a really fine bunch of guys, especially mm-hmm. Jamie Pearson who ran the network, Eric Lamaru who. Um, invited us on the Wild Die podcast and who um, uh, helped run things over there as well. And of course, Gary McCallum, who is part of the Nerds International, he sent us things to review. Yeah. I mean, but a lot of our early episodes were were, were because of him sending us stuff. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Our videos online. So, loads of nice sweets. 
to tell you the truth though a lot of people were leaving the network and there wasn't much good stuff left you know when it came to shouting out other shows on the network all we really had was the murder hobo show left which is amazing and i think everyone should go and listen to it um but uh yeah i mean the wild die is still going as well that's pretty good so go and give that a listen Absolutely. but nerds international is over but we'd like to say sincere thank you to to uh to them for helping us out in in the beginning absolutely totally. yep totally totally it was a really good um, network uh, community while it lasted yeah. yeah exactly while it lasted but then unfortunately you know the, i might c- cut this bit out but unfortunately it sort of got into uh a bit cliquey and uh, the Genesis guys felt hard done by all the time because everyone mocked them for liking Genesis oh. and then it got into actual argument territory and oh god oh, everyone turned into a bitch stop it really, they really did oh well I, was, I didn't I don't mm. know well, that's, that's, that's we'll a fact that. so I'm, that's a fact <laughs> it is a fact but we'll cut that yeah. um, alright but, but that is it for news that is it for news that's your news punch that's your news punch quick mm. and to the point <laughs> to the face <laughs> my wife suggested a new jingle this morning and and listeners just don't get angry but because she is a bit weird but what she suggested for the news punch jingle was that um uh she she suggested it was she would be like a female voice and she would come in and be like um can i have the news and then i would pretend to be a bloke like a really angry northern bloke and go is your fucking news and then put in a punch sound effect <laughs> And I was like, I don't think that's really going to fly. Uh, we'll probably get a lot of complaints. Yeah. So we'll stick with the one we got. Yeah. All right, let's talk about what we've been playing in What You Slaying. Yeah, What You Slaying. So Destiny, uh, Cypher... No, it's not that again. Um... So, uh, yeah, we've been playing Destiny um, based on the video game using the Cypher system. Nick's been GMing it. Oh, yeah. And it, it finally ended with a with a final episode, and oh, it was yeah. amazing. Oh, thank Nick, oh, yeah. do you want to run us, run us through what the final episode was all about? Yeah, so we had like a, we had a giant showdown. Um, basically, the, uh, the tower um, was under attack from the Vex. They started slipping through a... Uh, pan-dimensional portal or a bunch of portals actually and um yeah and there was these huge hydras for so for people who know uh, destiny they know that these these giant uh, machines that f- like float along and they started destroying the city and you guys had to take to your ships and basically head off the uh the uh, onslaught and um, it was brilliant it was absolutely fantastic we had uh uh, what do we call it? Integration, wasn't it? So you, um, so so Harris's character Percival, he hacked one of these giant um, hydras and uh, started like having this kind of uh, meta space battle with it. Um, James attacked the other giant one and managed to pull part of its hive mind into a crystal. And oh, oh yeah, it was it was it was, cr- it was fantastic. The, the moves were insane. And, and <laughs> yeah. to, to put it into perspective, right, the tower is like our main base, and it is a tower, and we're all on the top of it. Below we can, below it we can see like the whole this, these whole cities, and the big things that we were fighting. There were four of them, and they were like Godzilla sized, mm-hmm. and the mini ones were sort of on the tower, like killing people. Yeah. And um, that's what we're doing. But the, you know, the the thing where I hacked one of the big ones, right? So my character, he's like kind of chaotic, good type, um, and he flew on top of it, plunged his hands in, and then when the wires wrapped around his, he began to hack it. He's a robot, by yeah. the way, which is important. I, I I I said that was like a really really anime move to do, and I remember now where I got that move from. 
It's not a reference that would mean much to you guys, I don't think. But on Metal Gear Solid, Metal Gear Solid Mot- Three, <laughs> the, <laughs> I don't know what happened to my voice then. Metal Gear. There's fight. a bit where there's a bit where you're fighting, you know, a really early version of Metal Gear, and one of the um, one of one of the bosses stands on top of it and then does that. He's this guy that has uh, can conduct electricity through his body. So that that is where I got it from. Uh, I realise now. Nice. But yeah, fucking, it was so awesome, and the, it was just this epic thing like because we just it wasn't like just a battle where we just were constantly like right you fight you're fighting this you roll to hit you roll to hit it was like there it was this mad panic where craziness and destruction was happening all around us and we were just trying to do our best you know and it was mm. fucking amazing yeah what I liked it was, was ridiculous. that the night before all of our characters had gone to the pub <laughs> including our leader Savala so he was really hung over and so was I so um, we were flying towards one of these giant Vex that were destroying the city and I, I um, crashed my ship into the city uh, below beforehand to get us a pair of kebabs and then oh, flew it up to him so and then good. me and him were fighting side by side that was so cool it was fucking crazy when you were sharing a ship yeah. and eating a kebab yeah <laughs> but no it was fantastic it was fucking yeah. awesome and the guys were absolutely and, great you saved it didn't you saved the city yeah we did and the cool thing is is me and James you know our whole storyline got wrapped up in the end as well because we were trying to figure out yeah the, the entire thing Exos um, who were the robots in Destiny they don't know where they came from and Nick I don't know if it was an official destiny explanation but we he came up with this cool thing where we found out that we were the vex once we were the we were the things that were attacking the city yeah so we we yeah. had this sort of moral dilemma as if we side with the people that we are or the people that we've signed up to protect it was pretty fucking awesome <laughs> so was that you yeah, it was amazing and it was really well portrayed was that your invention nick um, I can't remember it. I can't remember if I'm misremembering that they were from the Vex or whether that was from. Or I, I'm sure I've got a funny feeling that there's somewhere in the law that, that it says that. But I can't remember if I've just remembered that or misremembered that. But so pass. I have to double check. But it made sense for me. <laughs> um, it just worked yeah, really well because nice. I know that um, obviously both of you being exos, you were different, and you wanted to know, you know, where you come from and why you help the humans and stuff. And um, just fitted really well I think to make it kind of the big revelation be down to you guys and how you feel and that's why it was in your hands because you were speaking to like the hive mind once again and you know you had the choice whether to side with them or whether to uh, you know fight back and shut it down and yeah they fought back they decided to side with the humans after all the kind of inner searching and morality and stuff and uh, yeah shut them down shut the vex down shot the um, portals to shit and and stop the stop the invasion it was by far one of the best um, you know, end sessions. I, yeah, it's, it was I definitely one of the best single games I've ever played, and also one of the best campaigns. I mean, oh. the it, the way that you did it was just it was just insanely good. It was like it, it, it was because the way Nick did it, listener, was kind of like uh, we did a lot of barracks life and what it was like to be just part of this like uh, sort of army yeah. base, and we did a couple of missions throughout as well, and it was just. It was really about the characters and our relationships with NPCs and each other, and it was funny as shit. It was the action was like really incredible. It was awesome. But Nick, like, thank you so much. So now you've run thirteen games of Cipher. So you've done a, a, a campaign, as it were. So what do you make of it now? Is, is there anything that you would change? Is there anything that you um, think particularly helped with the, with the Cipher system? I like, yeah, uh, I think it's, I think it's a very like like we've spoken about before. If you're um, a bit like me when it comes to GMing and uh, get yourself a bit stressed out and th- over prepare sometimes or overthink it, it's uh, it's a cracking system for someone like that because 
you don't all you know all the stuff that you have to remember kind of gets taken away and all you need to kind of remember is good story good narrative and good making sure that your players are being involved and um, that's why i absolutely love cypher i wouldn't say it's my go-to system above all others uh, but i definitely think it holds a really good place for that these kind of type of games when you want a heavy narrative lots of role play you know a bit more maybe a bit a bit more lighter on the big combat and stuff but or mechanics but you know really want to kind of push the fun role play and interesting situations and cypher is perfect for me it's that go it's the go-to one for that if you're looking for that type of game i see what you mean yeah because the thing is i mean it's got really robust kind of story game slash rpg like character yeah you know role-playing mechanics and i think um I think that when when it comes down to it, like you know, Savage Worlds doesn't. It, it, it's an open system, but it doesn't quite offer that. You know what I mean? Oh no, totally. Yeah, but where Savage yeah. Worlds would be my um, if you if you want like brutal battles, higher action, and you know, just people shouting at the table with excitement, then you're going to go. You know, you go to Savage Worlds because that evokes that kind of that system evokes that it, with yeah, the crazy roles and stuff. You know, and it's and everything's got a perfect. That's why I like. I can't stand when people just go, oh, I only play one system. It's like, you know, you let yeah, 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 the, yeah, system yeah. Should exactly. suit the, the system should suit the setting and help the setting. I completely you know agree. I, mean? I yeah. completely agree. You know, I mean, um, the one of the things is that I, I always GM, obviously, mm. or I often GM. And I, I genuinely find, because GMing is so much more fast-paced than playing, I find it often quite hard to get into character. I often find it, it takes quite a few sessions. But the thing is, in cipher where you're kind of spending your stat pools to, to, to do stuff it mm-hmm. makes you consider your actions a lot more and you, it gives you a bit more to think about as such i felt like i was uh, i felt like the system really allowed me to get into character and percival my, my the guy that i played was probably one of my one of my favorite ones i enjoyed the most anyway i don't know if it was my best but oh yeah i enjoyed there? it because I, it, it was thanks man but it was yeah it was pretty easy to get into because of the way the system was built mm-hmm um, yeah, it was fucking mm. awesome. And James, you you played a blinder yeah. as well, but yeah, fucking awesome. And so I, I recommend everyone get out there and buy some cipher system. It is expensive, but it is a bloody nice book. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's it nice. Is book, awesome. actually. It's really good. Yeah, it was cracking. So, so um, absolutely brilliant. But what next? What's happened next? Yeah. So after that, you know, we started a new campaign. We finally. Uh, met up in person Nick wasn't able to make it which was annoying uh, yeah. we'll talk about that uh, in a bit actually mm-hmm. but yeah essentially um, uh, you know we, we've started up the second leg of our Fandolin Zoo campaign so long time listeners will know that we we once well we once played a game I ran it where, where the characters all come into um, possession of a disused monster zoo in D&D in, in Faerun and have to populate it with monsters and it was a good good um, sort of kind of balance between comedy and action basically um, and we're going back to that world but um, essentially we've come back five years later mm-hmm. and um, they've uh, the king has, has ordered a mandatory um building of this thing called a minor fracker in each town it basically um drills into the earth and uses the earth's energy the life stream to power devices such as electric lights auto wagons automatons things like this guns and um yeah yeah and but but what he's done is he's installed one in every city and then each city has to uh, will owe him the money and has to pay it back to him basically so for so the group ended ended up having one of these built but have to in, in their town which they run um, but they own 50,000 gold pieces. And then it just so happens 
that one of the other um, dukes is uh, has got a new competition called X Crawl, which I basically just stole the concept for. Mm-hmm. And um, he's made a big stadium, mm-hmm. and it is dungeon delving as a sport. So uh, the competition, they can get 150,000 gold pieces if they win. And all it is is two teams go up, and the team that finishes the fastest wins the money. And it was this big stadium, you know, things, all these like little automatons with lights on them, floodlights, things like this. It was like the height of technology in this universe. Uh, fantasy yeah, madness. Yeah, yeah, it was a fantasy universe. And basically, they were running a dungeon called the Plume of Horrors, which is a, um, a hedge maze designed by one of the older characters from the group, Dave Dishington, your old character. Yeah. That was right. So that was a whole quest, this. wasn't it, in the last campaign? Putting that, well, not a quest, but right, it was exa- part of a side quest, if you like, yeah. Yeah, you did your downtime building this dungeon yeah. for the posh guy, and now he's <laughs> he's making money off of it. He's made it into a sport. Good man. Um, yeah. The idea, um, I thought, because of mazes, um, uh, um, you know, Minotaur is like the typical enemy. So the whole premise of the uh, of the dungeon is that it's a maze, and there are these different chambers where they have to figure out an astrological sign either via a puzzle or a fight and the minotaur um actually was a bunny tour because it's you know grass themed so he had a big rabbit's head like a sort of rabid rabbit's head yep um and he was running around kind of he was going to stalk everyone in the dungeon beat them up and then back off and these guys are gonna have to fight loads of things and run around in the maids get lost go to loads of different chambers and Here's what actually happened, though. Um, Go on. <laughs> um, so what happened was, is very early on, the Minotaur became aware of where they were because he they were making a lot of noise. Mm. And um, instantly, how barbarian Grant Shaftesbury smashed through the ceiling, uh, the glass ceiling, and then just sort of ran around on the top looking for shit. Um, one of the other characters <laughs> got lost running off on his own and ended up at the end, but the guys eventually met up with them and just cheesed their way to the end. And they used a lot of trickery and things like this um to kind of figure out what zodiac signs were needed by looking at this big dial um you needed to basically input all of these zodiac signs into the dial and then it would open the door to the end of the dungeon right um yeah so they they basically they basically just use detect construction tricks and their knowledge of astrology to figure out which ones it was (laughs) cheeky bastards which is (laughs) and also did um a bit of tinkering with the door to like you know like when you open up a safe and you put your ear against it and you hear a click that was one the first move yeah it it was was (laughs) fuck fuck the puzzles yeah to be perfectly honest Mm. it was amazing the only point actually stanley um who's the groups one of the groups knights um he got he got lost and he was on his own, but he took down two vine horrors and got one of the codes. But they'd already figured it out back at the at the dial anyway. So <laughs> oh shit! Did you all split up then? Yeah, for for bits of it, because basically as they go into the um, as they went into the maze, all of them were sprayed with a mild hallucinogen that would make them run off on their own. But most of them resisted uh, nice. it, so it was yep. only a couple of them that we ran off on their own. Actually, it was only one character <laughs> who's um, Urchin Fiend, who's a uh, oh Urchin did yeah he's this little five year old he's a um, <laughs> he's a five year old Swerfneblin who's who's the product of two yeah two previous characters um, who had sex and now one of them was a hag, one was a gnome, so you get a Swerfneblin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, and and the funny thing is is that the two two of the characters that we've got at the moment so Stanley and Dee Dee two of the uh, uh, player characters their husband and wife and uh, Urchin is kind of their little orphan character uh, it's like their adopted son brilliant whereas um, yeah. uh, Grant Shaftesbury who's this really dodgy um, cowboy builder type 
um, he's sort of like the fun uncle and it was revealed last <laughs> week and I know this is terrible and it was revealed during the game that Grant Shaftesbury had been showing him um, dirty videos um, it was called Eurovision Thong Contest yeah and he'd also been feeding him alcohol yeah <laughs> it's, oh, it's really shit. awful but anyway yeah last very thing old happened, for his age last thing that happened in the in the dungeon was uh that the yeah basically they they were just about to leave and the minotaur jumped in front of them um urchin the swerf neblin hits him with a uh with, with a sleep spell the guy goes to sleep and then they just stab it and kill it and tear it at the <laughs> fuck apart and then jump out of the dungeon and they beat um you it's not really relevant to you guys but a lot of people listening will know how how significant this is this is but their opponent was elementster and they beat him by a time of four minutes so it was pretty amazing wow. and he's like so in this world there are nine druids and uh, they're like some of the most powerful people in the world and he's one of yeah, them and almost, they beat him uh, on par with gods right nice yes exactly well they work directly for gods um, yeah. in the, in my version of the universe so yeah it was pretty it was pretty awesome and they beat him but they did it with a lot of trickery well a lot of Shaftesbury doing it well they had three days to prepare for the dungeon crawl right, right? so what they did what he did Grant Shaftesbury he's a dodgy character and he kind of he went around trying to figure out what Elementster's weakness is, and he found out that it was loneliness and snakes. And so what he did is he he created he created a signal while he was signing autographs outside because basically the characters are now world famous because of their um, saving the world in the previous campaign. And um, yeah, they, he was signing autographs outside, and he said to everyone, "He's like, right, I've got a code word, and when I say it, I want you all to chant about how lonely Elementster is." And uh, he set that off while he was running his dungeon, so obviously he would start crying, and also sewed a snake into his robes. Yeah. So, so when it, at some point it just jumped out at him and he freaked out. Kid bastard. Yeah. So it made it basically um, shafted his in, uh, elements this time because he all the crowd were against him and a snake hurt him midway through his run. So, wow. Yeah, it was pretty ingenious. Um, yeah, it was it was crazy. But Grant's up to his old tricks then. <laughs> well, exactly. Oh, yeah, instantly. Exactly. It was really and, um, weird, but yeah. amazing um, playing old characters and sort of getting into the thick of it so seamlessly. Well, they were classics, yeah. though, weren't they? They were absolute icons, though. Let's be honest. The, some of the characters in this uh, that that campaign, so the surviving ones, probably pretty easy to slip them back on. Well, yeah, mm. exactly, exactly. And um, you know, uh, we've switched systems, but we've we've maintained the same level and roughly the same classes throughout. Oh, right. What system are we using now then? Um, old school essentials, because it's much much easier at higher <laughs> levels. But anyway, the very last thing that happened was. Um, the stadium um, was subject to a... They collected their prize money, then the stadium was subject to a massive, massive landslide. Oh, shit. And a huge... Uh, the, the stadium just got torn in half, and out of the crack in the middle of the earth came these uh, this bright uh, green uh, light, which, which shone brilliantly, and trees, like giant tree ant, like massive tree people started yep. climbing out the middle of the earth, oh, nice. attacking the crowd, sending like sending like big handfuls of crowds, like flying at a time. Oh, Jesus. Um, and, yeah, and basically James very rightly pointed out he's like, oh god, it's because of this minor fracker shit, you know, where they're uh, mining the earth and yeah. using its live stream. And, uh, yeah, so everything got really fucked up at the end, and this little satyr guy you know like um danny devito in the hercules films his <laughs> yeah. little character yeah. he come he came he came out and sort of spoke to the party and he's he reckons he's there to help them but he doesn't know why so that was it Ooh. and that's where we're at a little yeah. bit of a cliffhanger um Love it was it. very fun but let's let, we'll talk very very quickly about the uh 
technical problems. We tried to get Nick to attend virtually, um, and it was actually really cool because we had him at the end you of the table. You had a really good, really good angle, didn't you, Nick? I was surprised. I thought it, I thought it'd be shit. No, it was spot but you on. Could see I could everyone's see everybody. Face. Yep. But it didn't work out because there was at, the, at first we couldn't hear you. Then James messed about with the uh, audio settings and improved them, and then you couldn't hear us. Yeah. And then you switched to the phone version of Discord. Didn't work. But here's the funny thing, Nick. Here's uh, uh, this might cheer you up because at the game, we, you know, we often talk, we often talk about a player in our group called Ryan who is quite stupid, and he um, he he he. There was literally a whole big box on the screen that said, "Nobody's here at the moment. If somebody joins you, you'll see their video." And Ryan kept turning to the screen and going, "Isn't that right, Nick?" <laughs> and like he did it three separate times. You weren't even there. You hadn't oh been there God. for a while, and he was like, "He's like, hey, you having that one, Nick?" And like talking to the computer. Oh, bless but him. Nobody was there. Oh. oh man, we were we were absolutely fucking cracking up. We had to take a break because we couldn't stop laughing because that was oh one of the stupidest God. things I've ever seen another human do. Oh, I can't believe <laughs> it. Isn't yeah. that right, Nick? 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 No, we, no. We kept on oh. After a while, we closed the laptop and we kept on making jokes. Like to it. we were like, "Isn't that right, Nick?" And it was just a microphone sitting on a on a closed laptop. <laughs> should have put should have put a little hat on the mic. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. Right, so um, yeah, that's basically it for what we've been saying. Sorry, we went along with this one. I'll probably oh, try yeah. to edit it down yeah, anyway. Cut out, but cut out. Um, fucking um, yeah, I, I just wanted to let everyone know I'll be appearing on the Appendix N Book Club um, on the 16th which is another podcast and uh, we're going to be reviewing Conan the Warrior the uh, the, the novel um, yeah. it is uh, I'm not going to spoil my views yet but, the, the, but it is fucking rubbish so um, we'll, we'll uh, look forward to that <laughs> spoiler alert spoiler alert <laughs> jinx alright let's do a main subject shall we main Subject magic main. Subject Tokyo main. Subject. All right. So we all know that along with Dave Arneson, Ernest Gary Ramtree Gregory Nikolai Gygax was the father of the type of game that we all love, otherwise known as Arbgus. <laughs> However, oh yes. It- <laughs> it's all well and good being responsible for the game that started it all, but Gary, or Gazza, as I've come to know him, was also responsible <laughs> for the biggest blunder in RPG history. Dun, dun, dun. So today, Pray tell. Pray exa- tell. I'm, well, I'm going to, James. If you if you would allow me, please. I, with my permission. All right, this one. Now it. So today, we're going to analyse this colossal cock-up, this gargantuan <laughs> gaff, and try to figure out, was Gary Gygax actually a good game designer or did he just get lucky with his first one because he also you know he oversaw tsr's indiana jones yeah you know yeah he did top secret which i don't know if that's good or not and and then he did the biggest cock up in in rpg history so let's get into it um but first of all i'd like to thank david porter for suggesting this topic and you too can do the same all you need to do is go to our patreon and and subscribe at the ten thousand dollar tier. Um, <laughs> you can literally tell us what to do, how to do it. Yep. Oh, we don't Who mind. With? If you're giving us ten grand a month, we will. We'll just make a podcast about anything. About we can, you. We'll make a about podcast you. about watching paint. Yeah, we'll do one about you. <laughs> it depends um, where you are and if it covers it. But we'll come to you and record the post- podcast inside you. <laughs> all right. All right. Calm down. All right. Calm down, James. All right. This this <laughs> podcast isn't a place for jokes. I think I've made that clear. <laughs> Sorry, sorry, Dad. Four years of saying that. Shut up. I'm not your dad. Okay, good. 
Okay, so yep. the year was 1987. Gary Gygax had left TSR, and during this time, the idea of the darker, more adult themes were being uh, were becoming a thing in RPGs, basically. Twilight 2000, Paranoia had just hit shelves, so Gygax, alongside Frank Mensah and Kim Mohan, decided to ride the dark RPG wave and came up with Cyborg Commando. <laughs> A game set in the near future where evil aliens have invaded and it's up to newly developed cyber soldiers called Cyborg Commandos to save the Earth. Now, before we get into it, you guys have seen the cover art and some of the inside art. I mean, that's always your first impression of a game. What would you make of this? Well, didn't I say um, if, your, if your mate drew it, you'd, you'd, you'd give it a good... Um, you'd say, oh, that's pretty cool. good, mate. Because it's your mate, <laughs> but yeah. So you're saying, it's, it, you know, you'd yeah. give it the benefit of a doubt. You'd be like, well, he tried his best. I mean, yeah. that, but that's quite a damning way of looking at it. I mean, that tells you that it's quite shit. Um, to give it a, <laughs> a description, the cover art is of a man with a metal body, but human arms and a human head. But the head is way, way too big. Way too big. Way too it's big. It's huge. And it's clearly Arnie. Yes, exactly. And then there's one inside cover art, which is that it's like the most racist thing I've ever seen in my life. Probably by accident, to be fair. I don't think they did it in, on on purpose, but it, it looks like somebody's blacked up. But it's but the character is supposed to be Japanese. Why have you? And it's like literally pure black. It looks racist. It's what awful. The hell? Yeah. It just looks like Mickey Mouse's um, face because of the the hair as well. But I sent you a, a third third piece of artwork as well, which was like a kind of more line art drawing of a cyborg commando. And what's interesting about that is he's got floodlights in his thighs. Oh yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's what we need. And infrared Everyone lamps in his shoulders. I mean, the thing is, with the lamps in your legs, I get one being on your shoulder, and you know, police often have one on their chest and things like this. But why on the legs? When you're walking, you're just going to constantly shine in your eyes or not shine on the way, the direction that you're going. <laughs> yeah, but maybe he walks differently because he's a robot. <laughs> robot. Yeah, it would be like it would be like roller skates coming out of his feet. Actually, that reminds yeah. me. If you want to watch something that a really good, terror bad like movie, check out Robot, the uh, the Indian movie. It is literally like this. The movie. Oh, nice. It's really oh, quite amazing. bad. Has he got all the all the um, classic like? low budget effects yeah you know like Indian fight scenes yeah, man, yeah. when they go over the top they yeah. really go over the top awesome. and, um, oh, but they're awesome they are awesome there's a bit where this, there's this um, woman being touched up on a train by a bunch of people and he tries to catch up by his like roller skates come out of his feet and then they're attached to the train line and he goes <laughs> along it and he just beats the everlasting fuck out of all these perverts on a train it's fantastic he's like swinging around the poles that people used to stand awesome. up yeah. it's, it's beautiful nice. man so yeah check out Robot but let's get back onto the game so it sounds like a pretty decent premise, right? You know, you're a, a you're not aliens. Aliens have come. Mm -hmm. You're a robot, dude, and you're blasting them, right? But the game was seen as the biggest flop the RPG industry had ever seen, and one of the worst RPGs ever published. And I think this was due in part by the absolute top-notch celebrity designers on board, and from you know from whom everyone expected better. And because the game's design style was supposedly stuck in the past. You know, it's like the George Lucas thing, you know, everyone thought that this follow-up to Star Wars with the prequels was going to be fucking amazing. And was it? No. I'm just going to have to close my window because somebody's picked now to start mowing the lawn. Attention fellow gamers, no anime beyond this point. <laughs> Alright. I almost fell over. Careful. 
good. I'm good. I'm fine. Thanks for asking. During a period in RPG history where other companies were starting to innovate and refine, it was a popular belief that Cyborg Commando was stubbornly set in its ways. Um, but is any of this true, or was the game a victim of people's high expectations? Well, today, we're going to dive in and find out. So, the game starts off with the cheesiest intro ever, and I'll put some cool music behind this maybe if I can be bothered. In 1985, a space vessel landed on the moon, but it wasn't ours. They are preparing now. They will be ready soon by their standards, in less than 50 years. Then the invasion will begin and succeed. You must retake the Earth. What I like about that intro though, is the qualifier of they will be ready soon by their standards. <laughs> it's, like, it's like when your wife's getting ready and she'll be like, I'll only be a couple of minutes by her standards. <laughs> yeah, it's like a little, like little dig. That's true. It's like, yeah, it's like having a little dig at the aliens. It's like, come on, look, look get it over with. Just let's do the war already. They're notorious for being tardy. Do you, look, that handbag goes well with your war outfit. Just pick that one. <laughs> no, no, but the shade, the shade of lipstick is a My gun doesn't match my jeans. Yeah. Oh, dear. <laughs> yes, yep. exactly. So, Cyborg Commando trademark is set in 20,000... No, 200... No, 2035. <laughs> and Earth, also known as World, has been invaded by aliens called Xenoborgs. However, handily, we invented the Cyborg Commando TM. Now, these aren't just cyberware men with android parts. They're actual man-like robots who have human brains implanted in into them. Right. And reading through this... What's quite funny is every time Cyborg Commando is written, it's typed in all caps with the trademark next to it. They oh, really wow. liked the name. Wow. So, so they shout it every time. That's how I read it, at least, Ooh. anyway. Like, my internal voice was just shouting, you know. And then that was when the Cyborg Commando was invented. <laughs> so, um... There's this pre there's a preamble section right and it's literally called preamble which is the worst word you could pick for an intro to the game <laughs> um but it's it's all about the world right which is where the game starts and for an introductory section it is also so long it's it's it goes on for ages but i'll try to summarize it quickly um basically in this universe there's something called a sink and it was made in 2016 and this is a subcranial neural converter which converts human thoughts into signals which can be sent to a computer the bloke who invented it was a bloke called richard sawtell and in 2020 his wife died which sent him into a, on, onto a quest for immortality so that's why he developed the cyborg commando tm um, now, there's an incredibly detailed history of how it came to be, and to be honest, it is fucking boring, and it's not even in like a funny way. But basically, a Japanese bloke called Kot Kot Kotusu helped him create the man machines by first experimenting on pigs and coming up with the pig bot. That's actually actually what it's called. Pig bot. So, um, and guess, and Sawtell, right, the, the original scientist, he re, he named the robotic pig TM after his dead wife. Oh, that's a bit now, rude. <laughs> well, that's exactly what I thought. If there's any, if there's any animal you don't want to be um, thought of, you know, you don't want to be associated with, mm -hmm. it's the yeah, pig. It is the, it is the ugliest. She's that for life. <laughs> I know. Little Miss yeah, Piggy. So her biggest legacy in the world is that a robotic pig um, shares a name with her. So <sighs> you know, her, her I, biggest legacy. The, the thing. No. The thing is, I reckon that probably. Um, Probably they didn't get on, you know, the husband. And I was wife. Gonna they say. kind of. 
So what does it does no. it say in which circumstances she uh, sadly passed away in 2020? Well, she uh, well he reckons she accidentally shot herself in the head while shaving her legs. Right. But, um, <laughs> a, a court proved him innocent, and the, and so Big Bot agrees. <laughs> Big Bot agrees. <laughs> uh, I didn't kill my wife, did I, Pig Bot? No, no. sir. <laughs> <laughs> no, sir. So it was a small jump from pig to man, however, because by the end of 2024, Sawtell and Kotusu had done it and made a car mechanic into a human killing machine. Apparently the reason they chose a car mechanic was because this bloke had nearly died and was on life support. But the problem I have with this is how did they hear about that? They were working in the lab one day and they were just thinking, oh, but we need a human subject to test this on. Suddenly the hospital calls. A bloke's just been in a car accident. No, local local newspaper, mate. Local newspaper. They yeah, pick, well, they just saw the, Croydon the, the pre-obituary <laughs> section. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mechanic they, just, they just had someone hospital. researching, constantly looking at the news, being like, uh, Pig no, done no, it. They, no, they, no, arm, no, uh, no, 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 what it is, is they, they have a person sort of turning up to hospitals. Got anybody on uh, on life support, maybe? <laughs> With a little £20 note, sort of <laughs> slipping it to them. And the bloke's like, yeah, we might have. It's like, um, we might mechanics? have, maybe... Uh, Maybe you'll find that his bed has been wheeled out by the bins out back. And then Pigbot's just like, thank you. <laughs> thank you, human. <laughs> oink, oink. I am Marjorie. Oink. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, what you think, if you wanted to make the, cl- the story a little bit more classy, maybe they had a scientist mate that volunteered to, to, to do the experiment, not just a car mechanic. I mean, it's bizarre. But anyway... So, um, also, to add insult to injury, right, this mechanic's brain wasn't even implanted into a man-shaped robot. They also put it into a pig one. <laughs> I thought you was going to say car. That, that would be fucking cool, though. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> I Cyborg can tell, Carmando. I, I can tell you how to fix me. I thought that joke that I just said was fucking brilliant and nobody noticed. Cyborg Carmando. <laughs> I can't even say it. <laughs> Anyway, skipping a lot, uh, skipping over a lot, like a lot of boring history, right? In 2029, Kotusu and Sawtell actually end up selling the rights to their project to the army and leaving the company. And in the words of the book, Kotusu and Sawtell left the humanical project in the hands of competent but less creative scientists. <laughs> and I, I'm, to be perfectly honest, good, really, because... If I was in a coma and I woke up with a pig body, I think I'd be really upset. It's not their creativity, really, that was the problem. Hang on. Yeah, the thing is, they're saying that they're, they're, uh, you know, less creative, but how many years did it take for them to make a pig bot and a mechanic pig bot? Well, A, it took a long time, and B, their creativity, I think, is a big problem. Because, first of all, his wife gets named after a pig, then a car mechanic wakes up in a pig body. I'd rather be dead, thank you. Um... (laughs) But yeah, um, and I'll say this though, I've abs- obviously vastly trimmed down that history part. Um, while it's important to know how things came to be in this universe, we don't need seven pages of detailed history on that one aspect of the setting, right? Yeah, it's true. I mean, perhaps a few pages, you know, on perhaps like a few pages on how different countries dealt with the alien threat, or maybe more detailed rundown of the hierarchy of the cyborg commando division, um, mm-hmm. whatever, you know. But all it is is literally how how it came to be. What it could have been is his wife died, he went on a quest for immortality, and he um, came up with this idea and then volunteered himself to become the first cyborg commando, and it worked. That's, yeah, that'd be all, cool. that's what it could have been. Yeah. What's all this nonsense about pigs and car mechanics? It's bizarre. <laughs> it's just, it's 
so random. Yeah, I mean, but the, ultimately, a preamble is supposed to be a quick rundown for players to read, right? But a beginning, beginning section, it talks about, and, and honestly, I, this is stuff I cut out, but so many minor characters that are never mentioned again. What their favourite food was, what brand of shampoo they use, <laughs> what, just everything. It's madness. And then we come on to how to use the dice. Which is weird, because usually it's like, what is a role-playing game, how you play this game, but it just says how to use the dice, and it's weird, right? What? So this, this game uses a 2d10 system, not a, not a percentile, right? It's, it's really weird. So it, instead of telling you just how the dice rolling works, it has a section on how to roll and read a d10, and why, not, why that's not how the game works but it is sometimes used. Then it says you can roll two d10s and add them together, and it mentions that that's also not the main method of rolling, but sometimes is. Then what? it tells you that you will be mainly rolling two d10s, but multiplying the results together, and then explains that this is the best way to roll and is the main mechanic. And then it has six tables and three graphs to show you why the system is used. These charts and graphs aren't used to play the game, just to explain why the game is so good. Oh, wow. Were they getting paid per? Were they getting paid per page? It's you know how like back in uh, the the uh, the days of like books like Mont Count of Monte Cristo, for example, you could tell he was being paid by the word. Yeah, it's possible that Gary Gygax was being paid by the graph. I reckon so. <laughs> Can we squeeze one more graph yeah. in there, Gaz? I don't know, man. There's a lot in there already that that, that show Frank nothing. Frank like Ga Gary. We've already got two hundred fucking graphs in there. What's wrong with you? Could always have one more. <laughs> we can always, please, just one more. I just need one more. I'll tell you when I've had enough. <laughs> Maybe a graph to show all the graphs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the graph graph. <laughs> Um, oh. Yeah, so so yeah, it's a very very weird 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 way to do it, and it's it's a bit mental. Just tell us how the game works. I can assume it's been play tested, and that you think it's good. Otherwise, you wouldn't have published it. Well, just I'll just try it out for myself, Gary. Yeah. You know, jeez. Savage Worlds, Savage Worlds, for example, explains its dice system by saying that it means characters and main characters are more likely to succeed, and that's all the explanation I need. Yeah, um, yep. and I'm I'm quite stupid, and I am aware of of this. Okay, but. I read through the explanations in Cyborg Commando three times, and I still don't know why it makes it better. I just don't. But here's what here's what I think it means. I think the D10, uh, rolling two D10 and multiplying it together, they call it the D10X system, tends towards lower results, making high rolls more spectacular and rare. But I'm not even sure if that's right. Um, so, I don't know. But it's really weird how it's written. Check the graph, mate. And also, guess what? I read their three-page explanation on why they chose this system, and none of it tells you how to actually roll. Well, like what target numbers are, how to add your skills to rolls, or how the game works. And it's weird because there's so much extraneous detail in the intro and in the dice section, but then we get to character creation, and it's simultaneously, right, the most simple thing in the world and the most fucking annoying thing I've ever seen. So, right, I'll just get... We're going to go on a little journey here, lads. So, first of all, you have to describe your human, pre-cyborgation, right? Mm -hmm. And then you're giving 60 character points and have to spend these in stats and skills. You have to use as few as 20 and as many as 50 in your stats and then put the leftovers into skills so between 20 and 50 in your stats and then everything else goes on skills and the stats are mental neural and physical that's it so mental is intelligence and governs the number of skills you can have so it's quite important neural is physical agility and reaction speeds and governs attacking and of course physical is a measure of your sick muscles so 
once you've assigned all that stuff, you pick skills. Um, so using the rest of your build points to buy some abilities. You start with a one in every skill because of your training, and then you just add on top. And I have to admit, at this point, while I was writing this sentence about character creation, I hadn't the faintest fucking clue how any of this works, right? So I'd read it several times, but there was so much missing information. So it's like, it just says, right, you start with a one, you buy skills. And I assume you just add one and it goes up, but it, you never know, you know? It might be that you add one and each point you add gives you a further plus three, you know? It doesn't mention any of that. It just says, just put, just put some fucking points in it and just try your best, you know? Um, it's bizarre the way it's written. You you have to figure out a lot. I'll get to it anyway, but it's fucking annoying. But there's there, anyway, there's a basic version where you purchase skills and categories and an advanced one where you buy individual skills. So in the basic version, you might buy vehicle-based movement. In the advanced, you'd pick specifically motorbikes. But here's the thing. This is finally where it tells you how to roll a skill check. So you roll 2d10 multiplied, and then if the roll is equal to or less than the rating being checked, the attempt succeeds. But... It was at this point in reading the book, I was like, what's the rating and how is that determined? It still hasn't told me, right? <laughs> what? So you, do you buy levels in a skill? Do you add plus three for every point? Or do you just add plus one and that adds the rating? You don't know what a rating is and how to beat it yet. So it, what the I, hell? It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's bizarre. Because the book explains what skills you can buy, how to roll them, but doesn't mention how to actually buy them. Then I found it was in a completely different section of the book, and it's actually simple. Spend char one character point to raise a skill up from its base stat. So you spend one point, it becomes a two. Spend another, it becomes a three. Yeah. Simple as that. But the thing is, they should point that out. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Mm. It should be in the other section. That should be right at the beginning. Should, because yeah. it's usually like... Say, for example, in Pathfinder, you buy it in ranks. Yeah, you add one level, you get a plus one. But if you buy it in one of your class-specific skills, you get extra points. And that happen that goes for a lot of games. That's why I didn't realise it was going to be this simple, and it should have bloody mentioned that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know if that... But it might just be me being a fucking idiot, but I, I just felt it was really badly explained. Anyway... Um, at this point, I want to mention that the game's biggest fucking downfall, as I mentioned, is it's organised like a blind person in a hurricane did the layouts. Every piece of information is organised in a stupid order and in a bizarre way, and that's why I couldn't figure out how to do it. But important bits of information are omitted to include them later in completely different places where you'd never expect to find them. <laughs> and this is the hardest part to just convey through words, but it's a mess. And anyone who remembers their first time picking up AD&D First Edition will remember the same feeling. And it seems to me now, this the, we, we're trying to do this to answer is Gygax a good game designer, right? And it seems to me that Gygax's organisation was not something he was good at, even slightly. <laughs> yeah, sounds it. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, like I said, I might just be an idiot. But I spent two hours trying to figure out all of this shit. Once I knew it all, it suddenly clicked into place. When you first read it, it's infuriating. It shouldn't take me two hours to figure out how to create a character. No, that's tricky. Um, that's weird. I, and yeah. I, I, sh I mean, I, when you when you read a rule book, especially me, sometimes it's quite difficult to kind of understand it as easily when you're just reading it as opposed to actually doing it. And when it's not just sitting down and trying it, exactly. Yeah. I mean, if it's written badly, you're just like it's going to stress you out even more before you even get to that point. And you know that could be it. I reckon maybe if I sat down with one of you guys and tried to do it, it would be it might be okay. But you know, it's just it's just the way it's organised. The character creation's super fucking simple, actually. But it's just the way it's organised. Um, Maybe get back they on. did it on purpose to um, make you read the whole book. 
Well, that's that is often how I find Steve Jackson books are, are organised. You kind of have to read the whole thing before you get an understanding of it. You can't just jump to the character section and figure out how to create a character. It's kind of give the whole thing a read and then you'll get it. So I think maybe it, it was. I think you're right actually there. So anyway, you spend points in stats, skills, and if you're using magic, which is called psychogenics, you can put skills and you can put points into magic skills too. And once you've done all that, you simply do some final calculations and determine how good your robot body is, and you're done. So it's simple, but the information is spread over multiple chapters, and some of the skills are fucking amazing. So your brains are being taken out and put into a cyborg body with which you intend to save Earth from alien invaders. So what do you pick? Well, what skills would you guys pick? Uh, a probably reinforced bod. Yeah. Okay. So, like some sort of defense skill. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, James. Uh, definitely go for like a large attack, a large one. So maybe rocket launchers. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Aliens. Can I get? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Can I get a gun hand? Yeah, you can. Uh, actually, um, all cyborg commandos start with a gun hand. Yes. Um. So. What about? Uh, what about a gun knee? I, I reckon they probably have that too. Um, but you've got lights in your knees, so if oh, the, yeah, yeah. Can if I get the aliens cl- are, are allergic to that. Can I get a klaxon that emits from my armpit? Here's, <laughs> well, that would be <laughs> awesome. Here's the thing. So, yeah, you, you're thinking, you know, guns, you're thinking defence, you're thinking rocket launchers. Helicopter you're thinking this. What about domestic arts entertaining guests? Oh, of course. <laughs> Fuck, why? Well, what about romance? It, oh, that's well, something. It's, it's not a game about that, though, is it? It's a game about being a cyborg fucking Come on, wanker no. and um, that's pig, it that's the dog. Pig but dog. yeah here's the thing um, yeah so you've got domestic arts entertaining guests we've got romance or maybe what about if your mission is to save an orphanage and during the mission the au pairs at the orphanage get blown up suddenly you're left with a bunch of kids to look after and I think this is why they include the parenting skill oh my god or Maybe there's a meeting with the Xenoborg leader to discuss a peace treaty, and you want to look your best, so you, you better take the physical arts grooming and wardrobe skill. <laughs> what? Cyborg what the Commando, man? the game where you can do your hair and practice your parenting skills. <laughs> oh, fuck, it's a shit. shit. Yeah, plot twist, the aliens yeah. aren't trying to take over the world. Well, you know, there's categories. So I said domestic arts, entertaining guests. There's also cooking, cleaning, um, all sorts. It's bizarre. But I guess, I mean, listen, you're a cyborg commando, right? You're built with one purpose in mind, but you still still have your human brain and probably your human life. Maybe you, you'd... But the thing is, these all of these skills, right, I assume they're implanted into you as part of your military training. So when <laughs> when does the when does the haircut bit come come up, you know? Drill sergeant comes all right, out. Maggots, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to teach you how to do a crew cut. <laughs> Drop and give me 20. Drop and give me 20. This is this is the romance class. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's pretty, it's, it's really, really weird. But let's talk about the cyborg commando body. So you guys mentioned that. That's the name of the chapter after character creation. It's actually just called cyborg commando body. Um, it kind of details what a cyborg commando body is like. It's pretty cool. You've got five different types of eye lens, which means you can see infrared signals or TV signals. Don't know when that would come up, but it's pretty cool. Right. And the cool. The cool thing is, well, I mean, let's say, for example, you do your research, you figure out that the aliens have a specific love towards watching um, Home and Away. Yeah, the, <laughs> yeah and, and uh, then you, you look at the TV signals and you analyse it and you're like, all right, that's Home and Away. They could be there. Um, so, um, yeah, and you've also got... Your eyes can operate independently. So 
If you see, if in the universe of Cyborg Commando you see a cross-eyed bloke with great hair holding a baby, you better run the fuck away because that's that's a tough guy. <laughs> yeah, holding a baby while simultaneously cleaning his gun. Yeah, there you go. Um, and your mouth is also a miniature chemical lab, meaning you can lick things to analyse them. <laughs> That's oh. cool. So, it, so you, it, if you want to know how old a blood stain is, like you know, doing CSI, you just lick it, and it will just send it to your mouth lab. Wow. Well, right. Do you have to eat in this game? Uh, no, you you do you do have power, and uh, we'll come to that. So you don't really eat; you just get powered up. So I guess to be fair, they're making the mouth would otherwise be useless. So I guess they're making the best of it. Do you know what I mean? Little robo tongue comes out. Blah. Listen, it's not it's not all stupid, all right. Um, so so because that's obviously why you come we're installed pre-installed with a microwave. <laughs> Shut up. Or oh, is that in the centre? Uh, no, it's actually on your hands. To be fair, but um, yeah, so you can what? like put things between your hands and microwave them. Whoa. I think it's like, I think it, but no, I think it's like you can burst people's heads with it. I don't think it's like you to heat no, up it's, a ready it's, meal. It probably but... is to heat up the ready meal. That ties in with the uh, orphanage um, ca- um, um, adventure where you have to look after the kids and also feed them. So, Ex- well, yeah, exactly. You, if you t- if you take domestic arts cooking, you become very skilled at microwave cooking. <laughs> <laughs> Handheld microwave. It, it, like maybe one of your comrades, one of your human comrades, is dying on the floor, like in a film. And he's like, "I can't go on, Sarge. I can't do it." And then you're like, "Wait a minute. Here's a delicious lasagna. I've, I've held it for twenty minutes. It's piping hot. Be careful." <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So hot. He went out the best way. <laughs> he went out how he would have loved it, taking a burning lasagna to the face. <laughs> Boom, successful. Each of these features, your microwaves, your mouth lab, all of it um, uses power units to use. And if you deplete them all, um, you know, you might power down. So be careful, because if you use your inbuilt microwave rays to heat a meal for your superior, well, that uses up power. So, But don't worry, it's really easy to recharge. There's no proprietary charging dock, which is fucking mental. Um, all you need to do is break an electrical circuit and use your hands or feet. So... <laughs> If you you can just recharge using a car battery or by sticking a fork into a socket. <laughs> oh, that's handy. I'm blowing the fucking handy. electrics for everyone. I bet they're a nightmare. So <laughs> yeah, let's say you know the aliens are attacking a, uh, a civilized area, a housing estate, or something like this. They'll, you well, just you punch just through the wall, grab the electrics. The yeah, exactly. Sorry, don't mind me. <laughs> just on a mission. <laughs> Would you like a lasagna for a, by way of an apology about the wall? I'll come back later because I've got building walls skill. (laughs) So, um, yeah, let's talk about combat. So, the book states that each combat turn is 8.6 seconds. And that's fine, obviously. But why it mentions that 8.6 seconds is one ten thousandth of a day, I'm not entirely sure. As if GMs were tracking time by the ten thousandth of a day. But combat is pretty easy. Your neural score determines how many actions you take. And where you go in the order is determined by what you're doing. So, combat is acted in stages. Zap weapons first. Fast projectiles next, slow projectiles and thrown objects, and then melee. So, but you may take only one action per phase, so you're able to take five actions in a turn if you know you have a if you're quick enough so you can't use a laser five times, but you can shoot a laser, fire a gun, then a bow, then throw a brick, and follow up with a slap. All in one turn. <laughs> what the hell? Just imagine that. Imagine somebody doing that, all of that in eight seconds. It's fucking incredible. Yeah. But the best yeah. thing the best thing is, right, is the fact that everyone's doing all of this at the same time. So imagine 
Imagine two cyborg commandos, perhaps having a little friendly duel, you know, and they do laser gun, bow, brick, punch all at the same time. You know, like sometimes in kung fu movies where they they punch each other's fists in melee. Yeah, it all cancels each other out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It'd be like that, but with f- five different accents. Yeah. Accents? Actions. Accents would be cool as well. <laughs> five oh, different <laughs> accents. <laughs> oh, God. Don't do that. Sorry. So, um, to hit anyone, all you do is roll 2d10x and try to roll under the enemy defense value. Now, what's interesting about this is usually to achieve something, you roll under your own score. Okay, so you the more points, the easier it is. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, but uh, in combat, you're just rolling under their defense value. So that means your skill has absolutely no bearing on combat. You just roll and beat their score. So, But you what? do ha- you do have a combat rating, but it's not linked to any skills. So if you put loads of points into Kung Fu and try to try to chop someone, um, well, it, it's not useful in combat. If, but if you're using your Kung Fu to try and open a door or chop a lever... You know, you, or show off to a lady, you're going to be fine. But using it in combat, f- well, fuck Forget you, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the book ends with a bunch of extra rules for combat, and then another chapter on how cyborg. Another chapter, by the way, on how cyborg commandos work for some reason, um, which includes a helpful diagram indicating, you know, the the leg floodlights that we've already seen. Another graph in there. You bet your ass there's another graph in there, Nick. <laughs> If you like graphs, this is the game for you. Graph the RPG. Yeah, I wonder what that would stand for. Generic role-playing... Ass. Alien. Arbitrary. <laughs> Arbitrary is probably be it, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so there's a levelling up table after this. So as a character gets experience, they get the chance for a promotion, and then their combat rating goes up. But as I said, the chance for a promotion... So to get your level up, you have to have a performance review with three superiors, and they can deny your promotion. Which means you could have fought hundreds upon hundreds of battles, looked after a million kids, washed a thousand kitchens, but if the bosses don't like you, your combat rating ain't going up. Meaning that for some weird reason, your combat rating is directly tied to your rank. So the highest ranking military personnel, the ones behind the desks, and the strongest people known to man, they'll only turn your attack dial up if they approve of your methods. (laughs) <laughs> Which kind of makes sense, but the fact that the uh, it's just tied to rank. Why not promote everyone to the highest rank and make them super powerful, and then destroy the bloody aliens? No, there's got to be there's got to be a hierarchy there. Come on, I could just picture this like <laughs> yeah, but... cyborg commando after having all these amazing battles and being victorious in like numerous wars, sitting like you know behind a desk in front of a panel with a little tie on, trying to explain yeah. these methods. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, what I imagine as well is like, uh, imagine like you're under siege by a number of aliens, right? You, let's say you two are the players and you're under siege by a number of aliens, right? Yep. And uh, uh, they're, they're, you're, you're losing. It's a losing battle. They're smashing through the windows. People are starting to die, <laughs> this yeah. and the other. And then suddenly you look at another player and go, just turn my attack dial up. Turn my rank dial up one. And then they're like, no, can't do it. Not allowed. But people are dying. Not allowed. Stop it. We haven't scheduled a meeting in. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Why did the earth die? Oh, it was red tape that killed it in the end. (laughs) That's that's exactly why it's so stupid. It's so weird. So this, this game was released in a box set, right? As was the style of the time. Which means there was a whole setting slash GM book written solely by Gary Guy. And as we all know, the man is a loony bin. He's a, he's an entirely loony. If you've ever read a Guy, Gary Gygax adventure, he hates players. And there's a rumour, I don't know if this is true or not, that he used a full body screen so that people couldn't see anything he was doing. A GM screen. Oh my god. 
She just heard this disembodied voice. So think about that, right? There was a uh, uh, the setting book is basically entirely written by him, right? The, the man that use, uh, uses a full body screen. So it's got world maps, info on areas in the world, and some stuff that would be useful pl- for players to know. You know, for players to actually know instead of you know learning about a pig robot named after a bloke's wife. <laughs> now, here's something funny. Where do you think the most highly coveted military location in the world is? Um, this place, the place the book describes as the ultimate location for a cyborg commando base, right? Where do you think that's going to be? Now, if we look at our military history, Mauritius is is known as quite a good uh, military strategic location. But where, where do you guys think? Uh, he's going to put it in the Arctic or something. Oh. Nick? Uh, in a nunnery? Uh, Skegness. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> so what? And now, what's interesting about this? Skegness. I looked it up. It's old Skeggy, mate. I looked up its uh, military history, and uh, guess what? The bases that were there during World War Two are now a butlins, <laughs> full of oh, full of no. cyborg commandos so in here's red jackets. If it, that's my that's my thing, because this is set in the future, and now it's a butlins. So that means at some point, cyborg commandos had to clear out a butlins. You imagine people <laughs> watching sort of crap, light, frothy entertainment with weak beer, and suddenly these robots come in and start kicking tables over. <laughs> this is our new command Move post. Away. We have. <laughs> to save you yeah. <laughs> put the beer down now <laughs> step away anyway um, yeah so the the world part actually is somewhat useful for like a globe hopping war type campaign but it's the part on Xenoborgs that I like it's so detailed and describes their mili- military ranks their weapons their biology now this is interesting for a number of reasons well first of all the aliens are made of different cells than us right called X cells which means they can hydrate breathe change the hardness of their skin all sorts of things just by changing their own cells or the cells around them so if you fire a bullet at one well not only can it harden its skin by instant dehydration sending the bullet pinging off somewhere else but it can also just convert that bullet to water or oxygen that's cool um so but i mean that is cool but but it's a bit op isn't it that's the fucking problem yeah that's the problem so when you think about this do you know when you would be playing superheroes on the playground as a kid and you and, and there would always be some kid that goes i've got every superpower ever imaginable i win right? yeah that's what these aliens are they're nigh on unkillable and guess what huge huge parts of the book are dedicated to what gygax calls his realistic aliens backed up with pages on pages of absolutely nonsensical su- pseudoscience and meaningless mumbo jumbo <laughs> so where's the fun in killing these invincible realistic aliens well don't fear they do have two weaknesses lasers which happen to be pre-installed in every commando handy and nuclear bombs those are the only two weaknesses Ah. obviously the concepts he came up with were bloody stupid but here's the thing I think I know what he was going for here. I think the game is supposed to be about catching them unawares so they can't, you know, change their matter or whatever or use their defences or the player sort of discovering the weaknesses for themselves, which actually isn't terrible. But it's basically like fighting Superman and not just one, but several million. And they all look like mollusks as well, which is fun. So it's it's slugs um, uh, with the power of Superman. Wow. Uh, and while we're we're getting distracted by committee meetings, they're being indestructible. Yeah, they're firing they're firing eye lasers. They're turning humans into water. I you mean, th- th- that's that's the problem. You know, it's just it's just they're really really overpowered. Now the rest of the GM's part is all like a bunch of guides and shit like that. But overall, I think that it's a pretty terrible game. I think it is pretty crap. Um, 
the presentation is fine. It's very 70s though, and was it was made in the 80s, and some of the drawings are accidentally racist, but the design of the game, the awful superfluous detail, the rapid shifts between crunch and oversimplification make it easily one of the least appealing game books I think I've ever read. Now, I find this interesting because, you know, I keep an open mind on all these things, and in the Indiana Jones episode, we discovered that the game was quite good, despite its bad reputation, but I personally think this one deserves what it got mm. um, and that's it for. but the, you guys uh, Nick what, what do you think what do you think of all of this um, it's, it, it's just disjointed isn't it I mean you've got two games there by the sounds of it you've got a superhero OP game where you should, it could have been that the aliens were OP but the cyborg commandos were OP and the whole earth was the innocent bystander I guess and it's whoever's left to survive after the big fights are the survivors which could be yeah. fun and it'd be more of an apocalyptic kind of end of days I don't know type game or the other one is just a silly robot game where you can get tied well, up in having meetings and doing your hair take the aliens out yeah, completely I, mean, <laughs> I think the only the way you put it the only way to run this is as a comedy game yeah really isn't yeah, it yeah absolutely I mean, and the aliens are like it, it, you know it says oh when they're ready I would suggest probably running most of the campaign when they're not ready so you can just get on with the funniness and then maybe have a final battle when the aliens show up yeah like the whole game is all red tape and getting ready and trying to get <laughs> yeah. you know somebody to turn your diet your there combat you diet exactly. up they'll, they'll, look they're going to be here in five days corporate politics and then finally and the, the final what? game is hello <laughs> and you've already got the solution boom but um, you know what I find funny is as I mentioned this was this was Gary Gygax's attempt to make a dark RPG and he came up with um, pig robots and people shooting lasers out of their fingers Um, come on mate no but uh, James how about you what what do you make of it I just think yeah it just sounds like a pile of shit like you said it's (laughs) Mm. just all over the place it's not well explained like at all and it just sounds like it sounds like you know it sounds like the first draft got published. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 right. Yeah. It does. It was like it you was know, on the back burner for ages, and someone just literally just went, "Oh yeah, let's just put it in." You know, um, I think you're absolutely right because um, I think it was Monty Kirk who was once quoted mm. as saying, uh, "When when third edition came out, apparently, like a lot of the, all the D and D designers were still just playing AD and D second edition and first edition." Um, and they, when asked about playtesting, I think it was Monty Cook that said, "Oh no, we never used to playtest in those days. We just got, we had just got it finished and got it out." So you're probably right, James. <laughs> Fucking terrible, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. I can't so, believe he went for something um, dark and then sort of shat this out. Nothing that's about not it dark, is dark, is it? It's more, I don't know. Is it's, it, it's, it's like deeply silly, isn't it? Comedy it's more like, sci-fi. It's like ben, yeah. I think it has more in common with like Benny Hill than it does, you know, anything dark. <laughs> yeah. Yep. The, uh, obviously, this whole segment was to figure out whether or not Gary Ga- got Ga- Gary Ga- 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 Gary Guy Ga- Ga- was trying to find out if he was a um, if if he was a bad game designer. Yeah, he was. I think I think maybe I think maybe because the thing is, we know he he, he did a, he did a good one to begin with. You know, we have a lot to thank him for, but it was other people that refined it that made his shit yeah. good. So was Chainmail? Was Chainmail good? I don't know. But Chainmail was more of a, fa- a fantasy, well, medieval-themed war game. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So, so dropped the ball a bit with uh, Indiana Jones. Dropped the ball a bit with Cyborg Commando. 
Um, maybe he's like maybe maybe it's the thing like with the you know like the George Lucas thing right when George Lucas is a great guy at ideas coming up with with things and and then it's the other people around him that kind of refine it and make it into a great movie mm. when he was given a blank check and did the prequel movies they were they were notoriously awful right <laughs> so maybe it's like that Gary Gygax he was good when he had a team you know but but when he when he branched out and it was just him and two of his mates making a game he came up with this you know mm. Um, I don't want to say he's a bad designer because honestly, I don't know if I know enough of his work to make a judgment. But it's but it's well putting the case together, aren't we? Yeah, I mean we're we're getting there. At the it's moment, two one at the moment, Gary. I'm it's sorry. two one. It's two. It's two one to him being bad because you got you got them two, and then you got one. You know, goal for Gary. I would say D and D. I suppose, but let's see. Yeah, but I think it's right that there's other people refining it because the book that he said that he wrote on his own, and then it just had the pages of that nonsensical scientist bullshit that really is irrelevant to the game and all that stuff it's just like well that was his own pouring out of his own brain it kind of just like well it kind of sucks man maybe he's like yeah maybe he's just like one of those yeah he just needs a bit of a team around him but who knows we may be wrong about all of that probably knows? i mean he, but the, the thing is we shouldn't speak ill of the dead because if there's anybody that would be able to haunt us is him because he's written about still, ghosts enough in D D. that's you know? true and we still love him that's for bringing, bringing the hobby to uh, to the to the masses let's be honest he'll never, never take that away from him regardless but um gary you're done goofed all right you're, you're done, done yeah. goofed <laughs> you got two games there mate if he'd have made cyborg carmando i'd, I'd be now we're that. talking yes. now we're talking Maybe and that's what um, maybe that's what the movie Pixar's uh, Cars came from. It was an early draft of Cyborg Carmando. Oh, don't I don't. I, I, I saw I saw a, a meme the other day, and it said that the guy that thinks up the names for like the Pixar movies is on about 130k a year, and it like and it said thanks for Cars and Cars Two. That can't be oh, real right. though. But no, I don't know. I hope he's not. But um, yeah, that was that was good, guys. I mean, that was a, that was a real corker. I want to thank. Give me a minute here, David Porter for sending that one in. Um, that yep. was a uh, that was a good that was a good subject. If you have anything you want to see covered, then uh, give us give us a uh, give us a fucking message. Send us an email. Uh, table nope. Three T RPG Pod at gmail dot com. <laughs> just quickly, was uh, was was. Um... Was it supported with any supplementary stuff, or was it just the box came out? More, the... more than you'd think, actually, really? but not a lot, oh, not a lot, okay. but more, more than it deserved, let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let's get on to some Electro Letters. Yeah. Mm. In the future, you will be able to send a letter or parcel from anywhere on the planet. This, sir is the electro letter so we asked you guys uh, what are your t- tips on making interesting characters you know uh, i thought uh the listeners you know they are interesting characters in and of themselves so they might know right and uh first one comes in from robert woford he says for pcs i like the powered by the apocalypse method of having them assign background links f- to each other so for my NPCs, I just try to give them one distinct thing. In my last Deadlands game, the players named the kid with the one boot Hoppy Sam and started going to him for all kinds of information. He was intended as a one appearance character. Um, yeah, I mean the 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 we've we've you know made characters in Fiasco, for example, where people come up with background elements for you, and you always end up with great characters in Fiasco. So yeah, I think that's a yeah. great idea. Um, as for the you know the characters that are like one-off people that I think that I think that happens a lot actually 
because I remember in our early early games uh, when I a campaign a Pathfinder campaign I played with James and Sean um, we there was a character called Gungar who was just this barman oh, and they mate. took such a liking yeah. to him that he ended up be, becoming with them on like further adventures and escaping this prison colony with them and stuff it was my yeah. favourite he was my absolute favourite guys yeah that's also the same as um, you know Dan Irwin in oh. the old FB, he wasn't God, meant yeah. to be. He was oh, just God, meant to be a one-off. Skull, yeah. So yeah, in our foreign beggars actual play, um, well actually in our Raven Lord one, yeah, it was a one-off character. It was a talking skeleton, and they took him in the entire quest. He died on oh, the last yeah. episode, actually. Oh, that's spoiler it, yeah. if you haven't watched that already. Oops. Um, Pete Jones, he says the characters must be based. Well, he's he's failed at grammar here. So Pete Jones, he says the characters must be based presenters of your favourite podcast. I think he means based on. But that's actually good advice. You listen to podcasts and you, you hear these people talking for like hours and hours. Yeah, so it's a good yeah. thing if you need to pull one out of the bag. Good old Pete Malloy. Thank you, Pete Malloy. Um, Richard Walcock, he says, I once ran a one-shot where the players had to choose an interesting feature for another player's character. I prepared ex- I prepared cards with things like extremely attractive except for or <laughs> has a particularly noteworthy item of clothing and each player had to draw one card choose which PC it applied to and then expand on it I remember that one of the PCs was a stunningly attractive gnome with enormous feet while another <laughs> had a vile smelling pair of trousers that had been passed down in their family for generations the trousers <laughs> couldn't be washed not sure oh I'd my. do that for a campaign but for a one shot it was great the players chose things for each other that, that they'd never pick for themselves that is awesome that's really. That's cool. a really, really awesome idea, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd actually like that for a campaign, though. If somebody had to choose something about my character, you know, some weird feature, it might be fun. I mean, as long definitely. as they're not all completely stupid, do you know what I mean? It's not all mental. No, definitely. It gives it, and it helps as a player as well. It gives them something to work off of. Totally, man. Now the next one comes in from Junus Rehunen. Now. What he said is, if you read this out, refer to me as Jonas, please. Last time you tried to pronounce my name was horrendous. Even though <laughs> a valiant attempt, and it traumatised me deeply. Bless um, So I've just made the mistake again, Jonas. Uh, Jonas? Jonas? Uh, Jonas? Uh, Isn't it Jonas? Um, I'll, I'll just... Uh, I don't care, James. You think I give a fuck about the listeners? No, I really do. I just want to say, you know, I mean, absolutely no offence by trying to pronounce the names. I know it's awful, and I know it's probably bordering on the offensive, but I am very sorry. Um, But he does say, I like focusing on making a personality of a character and then slapping on some race, class, whatever on top, instead of the, I want to play an orc paladin, and uh, I like God, I guess. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Nice. And that's that is actually perfect. Starting with the personality first is yeah, always the way you should do it. I, I also yep. like the method um, of ICRPG where you pick a picture first and then try to yeah, think what nice. that person is like based on the mm-hmm. picture. Yeah. Because mm. I don't know if you guys feel this, but you know when you're trying to pick out a mini for a character, it makes it so much easier if you just base the character on base the character on the mini rather than making the character and going oh fuck I can't find a mini that fits my giant gnome with big feet you know (laughs) yeah yeah agreed and that can be good as well if you're a bit stuck for um, if you're a bit stuck for an idea when you're making a new character then good old google search look at some portraits and that'll help yeah definitely man and and like yeah just looking on the mini websites now you can get some really whacked out yeah, weird ones and you yeah. can come up with ideas um, you know um, Junus continues and he says 
Other stuff include obsessions, fears of weaknesses that I'm only a source for role-playing, having weaknesses like debuffing your own character, but we aren't here to win. We're here to have fun and, and tell stories, and struggling to overcome your fears makes for great stories. Um, character development and other buzzwords here, you get it. Um, you yeah. know, I, I would agree with you, I would agree with you, Jonas, um, but I have unfortunately um, had um, my fourth character die in my Saturday game of Old School's Essentials, where, um, because I've tried to pick flawed characters, and it turns out they're so flawed they keep dying, so my next one's going to be great in every way. Yeah, good. Yeah, because the way the DM runs that game is pretty funny. Instead of making characters, um, what we do is we just... Uh, he has a big list of completely randomly generated characters, and you just pick one every time your character dies. Nice. Um, yeah, so at the moment I'm playing a Lamassu, which is like a big flying lion thing, and uh, <laughs> it can turn... It it can turn invisible as well, so I'm just like, well, this one actually might survive. But the cool thing is, the names are randomly generated as well, so my character's called Dude McVeigh. <laughs> That's oh my so lord. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant, man. Some of the names that thing chundles out, like my um, my previous character was this old hag, because he also randomly generated height and weight, and uh, my character oh, wow. was really tall, really tall, but only weighed 85 pounds so she was like basically <laughs> a skeleton um no way so she was a hag and um but she was called polished elden which is a good name <laughs> so um yeah um next one comes in from trevor hurst he says i run the games it's a bold claim man <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why i don't know why i found that so funny it's like it just you know what it's, it, it sounds like you know like from breaking bad i'm the one who knocks i run the games <laughs> shut <laughs> up <laughs> yeah so he says i run the game so i create npc characters they're usually all characters of people caricatures of people i have known my ace tip for creating characters is to pay attention to the folks that populate your real life we've said that enough times on this podcast enough yeah. times that's the number one tip in it yeah oh yeah so, for example, I might base a character on uh, James, and it might be like, yeah, but yeah. Anyway, sorry, I'm so sorry. Terry Hansen, he says, I recommend having a name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Get out! Get out! <laughs> you stupid man, Yorkus Rex. He says it's all in the backstory. I was an orphan with no memories of my past. Ain't gonna cut it. That's trash. Give the GM something to work with. They live that stuff. He means love. I was a child performer in a travelling troop of circus folk when the ringmaster summoned a group of demons that killed everyone except me. I grabbed this amulet and ran. From the flaming wreckage of the collapsing tent, I heard the ringmaster screaming after me with threats of eternal revenge. If your GM doesn't jump at that, then he's a soft lump that reads Forgotten Realms novelizations like their cheap (laughs) romance novels. Prod him along by asking him if every NPC you meet is the demonic ring master and clutch the amulet nervously some people will break out a spreadsheet showing you how showing you how they have perfected some power build through an optimized collection of feats and rules exploits oh <laughs> shut up those aren't interesting characters unless you enjoy watching competitive collegiate calculus matches that's just power <laughs> gaming it, it's what you do with your character when you aren't rolling the dice that truly make them interesting using your backstory and creating new stories that's where it's at Amen. Couldn't have put it better myself. Absolutely, it's a shame, yeah. you know, because on this podcast, I like to pretend that I'm smart, and when people outsmart me like that, it really annoys me. It really hurts, but it's uh, he's absolutely right, Yorkus Rex. Yeah. yeah, damn straight, well man. And you know, 
you, you know, coming up with an interesting backstory like that, when the GM's having a bit of creative writer's block or something, he can do a side quest that involves your story. I mean, look at our GenLab campaign. I, yeah. I always make a character that has something they're searching for, some reason they went out adventuring beyond money. And if yeah. it, even if it is money, why do they need the money? So in a particular case, um, you know, my character, uh, when I rolled him up in GenLab Alpha, he was a nomad and things like this. So I thought, why did he become a nomad? And it was to find a people that killed his um, his wife and his son and he knew one detail about him and it was that the man moved abnormally fast for somebody that had a peg leg that's it yeah um, and that became a big big deal and eventually yeah. we solved it and it got me a chance to, to change my character and become a person that had yeah. fulfilled a goal you know and come mm-hmm. up with a new goal totally it was fucking it was good fun man just do it to create a just decent backstory and it, yeah and it give the GM loads to go with so um, Daniel Owen, he comes in with the final quest. The final question. Question. Oh, no. What have we become? I used to absolutely love Losers. that song as a kid. I've I, I become the very thing I hate. Loserness. Me. I, um, <laughs> I generally tend... This isn't me talking. This is Daniel Owen. So I'll do his voice. I generally te- no sorry I generally tend to create three layers to any character I make the first is surface or conscience character or conscious characteristic that most defines him then I ask why and I imagine him sort of on the edge of a hill with with a breeze in his hair just saying why holding his hand up <laughs> and create a second narrative that is the subsurface or subconscious characteristic that drives the surface behavior and then I finally look for one for the core motivation that really drives him, working backwards from the subconscious characteristic. That way, the character behaves a certain way. It can be tied back to a core motivation, and this way works its way to surface presentation. That, or I just randomly pick a personality trait and just overact the shit out of it. Either one works. <laughs> so you got the deep, the deep theory, the deep method, and then that the was other one. one of the things I quite liked about Vampire. Is you had. I can't remember what the fuck it was, but it was like you had how you project yourself to others, what you really feel inside, and what your personal goals are. Yeah. Um, and it really drives a character, that shit. You've got to have that. If you don't... Totally. I mean, we, we're quite lucky because all of us tend to do character-driven characters, which yeah. should be the thing. You know, personality-driven, I should say. Uh, we've got one guy at a table that's a power gamer, but he, luckily he is also quite a good role player, so it works out. That's true, yeah. yeah, that is true. Best of both worlds. I, d- I don't particularly like power gaming, but it's okay. Uh, you know, I, w- I will accept it if, you, if you're if you a good fucking role player and you can, you know, walk the walk, not just talk yeah. the talk, you know what I'm I mean? I'm just not very good at it. No, me neither. I mean, that's, that's probably that's why the I problem. hate it, because like, <laughs> yeah. I'm jealous. <laughs> How do you do that? So we do, no. have, um, we do have one general question, actually, um, okay. from Owen Lean. He says... Oui. We, we have to figure out we've talked about in the past what our favourite table game um, food is um, uh, he's asking us what the worst food and drink to bring is we'll start with James and don't come up with any answers like a pint of semen I think it has to be a, a, a actually considered to be a food or a drink but what's the worst yeah, okay, variety so I think the worst kind of thing to bring to the table would be Say, for instance, you brought something like chicken wings, right? So, firstly, your I, hands I are going to get gross. This. Yeah, I was going to go to the same area, actually. Yeah, gross hands, um, a lot of noise, a lot of munching, a lot, of, a lot of stuff you have to discard, and therefore it's messy. It's like, just, just don't do that. 
That is that is obnoxious at a table. You know, you know, though, in um, in medieval times where you had this uh, idea that you'd eat with your right hand and uh, what is it? You sanitize right your left. Yeah, that was it, right? So what if you only do that? You just play the whole game with your left hand, giant turkey <laughs> leg in your hand. I mean, that's quite cool, actually. That is quite cool, actually. Yeah, maybe. But chicken wings—they're too small and they require two hands. And they're messy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if it's you know, and if it's. You know, oh, whatever. But yeah, that kind of thing is too too messy, too messy. Um, and also, drink-wise, if it's too viscous, like if it's going to be like a, a, a slushy, <laughs> it's going to be a lot of condensation on the table and it's going to yeah, be a lot true. of slurping. Yeah, Condensing You know, drink. it's going to be like, imagine drinking it and like just imagine someone with chicken wings going like... <laughs> or bringing yeah, bring really like milk on a hot day. There aren't really that many drinks that... that um, that that could could be bad, but like as Nick point pointed out just then, you know, a hot drink on a hot day is pretty bad because you're just up in the temperature of the room with your with your black coffee sitting there. <laughs> but you know, we tend to just bring hard booze. Yes, exactly. You know, I, I'm also not entirely convinced on nachos. As much as we like them at the table, for you They're players messy. where you're close to the uh, source, where you're close yeah. to the dipping source, right? That's easy. Me as a GM, when I'm reaching around, that travel where the where the salsa is on top of the chip, that is that takes. It's, it's a you really run in a gauntlet. You're dicing that with deserves, death. That deserves an epi- episode in itself, doesn't it? The uh, the GM diet, where you're too far away from the snackage to ever have a proper munch at a game. Well, I, I'm quite lucky because James <laughs> will often just feed a few things over my GM screen for me. That's true. Yeah, yeah. or create like um, you know, a, a, G, a, a mini GM plate. Just be yeah, like, right, yeah, well, yeah. Here's a bunch of stuff and just chuck it over. Nice. But I suppose it, well, even at the minute, um, well, specifically at the minute, it was just there's no sharing a snack. So yeah. You, want. you know, Nick, I'll, I'll allow you to do your answer in a second, but I think we've identified a sort of very current, quite shit foods to eat at a table because one of our, because obviously we're no, there's no sharing food at the table because you know we're not we're not touching the same things and everyone's got their own snacks and they can snack on those. But somebody bought a salad um, and he was well, trying to feed it up <laughs> under no. his mask and eat it, and then his mask broke because he's a fucking idiot. So he had to get another one out and put that on. <laughs> Yeah, you sort of like lift up the mask to eat it underneath the mask. To, oh, oh, for yeah. God's it, sake. Bloody stupid. And then afterwards, like, mate, that was a nightmare. Just have a sandwich. Take a big bite every few seconds. Fuck you me. should just blitzed I, it and just drunk it. Sit away from the... Go sit away <laughs> from the table for a bit and just eat it. This is what, <laughs> this is what annoys me. This is what annoys me about... Um, about hot foods, right? If I w- if I'm coming to a game and I haven't eaten dinner, I'm gonna pick up a sandwich, a bag of crisps, and a drink, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm not, uh, the the pizza, cut, like just because you need a hot meal. No, you don't. Shut up. Stop being a bitch. Just get a sandwich, <laughs> right? Because then you have people that are interrupting the flow and going out to get pizzas constantly, and then Cook shit. Stuff. And yeah, no, I don't want to sound ungrateful because I often get a slice of it, but I'm just saying, it's a, I just find it a bit weird. There's a difference dinner. between dinner and snacks. Actually, you know what? That's a that's a really good uh, that's a really good one for worst foods, like a full dinner, like a roast dinner. <laughs> Imagine there's one guy just at the end of the table, little napkin tucked into his shirt, big big roast, carving it. Um, he's eating a potato. What would you say? Do you remember when I got? Do you remember when I got an onion ring platter? That was probably the best presentation at a game I've ever had. No, wasn't it? Um, chicken nuggets. From chicken nuggets, sorry, chicken nugget rose, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that oh, was that me. was good, man. That was no, good. That chicken. Was- Chicken nuggets good, is a good one. It took, um, yeah, but it took, the, the only thing that happened, I think, that really pissed me off at that, that, that time was the particular person who, who presented it, for some Bill. reason, firstly, <laughs> took so long 
But yeah. why are you doing that? Because don't, it, you don't need to do that. And secondly, he, we wanted to present it in that cool way where he made a rose out of the nugs. Yeah, but it was at my house, and then he used my sauce and like filled up bowls of it, and I was just like, what "The fuck I, are I you won't doing?" Complain it. I won't complain. Yeah, I won't complain either. But it wasn't my house or my sauce. I loved it. That's true. That's true. Oh, I loved it. Um, so, uh, let's let's just say a big thanks to Phil for making that and yeah, that was for winding James up. <laughs> so my worst snack at the table ever was them disgusting fucking tomato sweets that you lot brought that time. Oh, those. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I still got them. Oh, they of course were you fucked have. up. They're horrible. So, it, there were these Japanese sweets that were flavoured like tomato. They were pretty bad. Actually, you know, uh, oh God, I keep veering into good ones. I like talking about food, if you haven't noticed. I've got very fat <laughs> during lockdown. But um, when James bought snacks back from the Philippines. Oh, yeah. Oh, trouble yeah. is, I was going to do that when I when I uh, visited Japan, but the uh, annoying thing is, is I ate them all on the way back. Happens. It does happen. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah. So worst worst gaming food was those horrible tomato sweets. What about drink? I don't think there is an unacceptable drink except for a hot drink on a hot day. I remember the first Savage Con when somebody put a fucking coffee machine on. You know, one of the ones that keeps it warm all day behind <laughs> yeah. table three. Yeah. It was like the middle of April, the sunniest day of the fucking year, and then somebody had put this coffee machine on. We were sweating our fucking asses off, and there was like Stinking basically up. a radiator in the corner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's pretty you know hellish. What actually, I think would be a, 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 a shitty drink to. I don't know. I feel like hot drinks in general, kind mm. of. You know, we haven't had hot drinks at the table in a very, very, very long time. But imagine sitting there and, like, say, for instance, ignore the pandemic, and then we were having minis and we've got stuff on the table. It takes up a lot of space. But you're sitting there with your dice tray in front of you. Then everyone's got a coaster, a hot drink, and they're sort of like every now and then you're just like, yeah, you sort of. <laughs> you know, most people <laughs> slurp a drink, a hot drink. I don't bloody just, slurp a drink. You know, but some people, just, you know what I mean? It's sort of there, and you be like, oh, yeah, yeah, mate, just put a pot. Oh, no, that's it, a pot of tea. Because that will sit on the table, a pot. If you're playing an Alice in Wonderland themes game, though, it's a necessity. Mm. I mean, yeah, but, yeah, but that's, that's, that's a perfect addition. But I think in general, if it's something like that, you know, most of our drinks are bottled, or it's a glass of water, or a can of something. And I tell you what, I t- you know what? I tell rid. you what makes uh, makes a drink a bad drink at a table is when somebody fucking spills it. The, oh, the yeah. amount of money that these books cost, and oh, and equipment, and then if somebody spills something on it, it drives me fucking mental. And it's instant anger, isn't it? It's just listen, instant triggered. Oh, it's just the fucking worst. Because, like, especially I've I've seen people do it at one shots, right? And I've I've you know spent all this time rolling up characters, making the sheets, putting their, them on there, maybe buying some minis, bennies, all this shit, buying some snacks, and then suddenly, so the first thing somebody does is like smash a coffee over all over the table, and it's like, well, that's all ruined. Thanks for that. Thanks for we that. Have to suddenly dry the fucking sheets with a hairdryer. <laughs> Fuck. Well, anyway, no good question. Anyway, yeah, um, it was a good question. <laughs> thank you very much for sending your question in, and thank you very much for answering uh, the question about making interesting characters. I think you've all smashed it. Mm-hmm. You know who else is smashing it? Find hmm. out in the outro. <laughs> My main goal is to blow up and then act like I don't know nobody. <laughs> uh, and that last line I said about someone else smashing it, I, I, meant, I don't know what even I meant by that. So you, you found out. But now we're in the outro. Let me tell you something, listeners. We've got products out there. 3TRPGpublishing at gmail.com. If you want to support the show and have a product for yourself, that's the best way to do it. Otherwise, go to patreon.com forward slash 3TRPG podcast and you can support us. And the thing I said about us having a $10,000 tier, we actually do. So go ahead ahead and support that, you know. I mean, if you've just got 10 grand lying about, just... (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, this is just literally me begging now, isn't it? <laughs> ten grand, hello. Yeah. No. Just give me ten grand. We'll get it. It's all I ask of you. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. If you want to email us, three trpgpod at gmail We're also on all the good f- social medias: Twitter, Facebook, that type of thing. Um, and uh, yeah, you can you can find us there. But that's it, really, isn't it? That's, that's it, it guys. That's it. All right. All right then. Okay. Good. Well, uh, I've been Harrison Hunt, and uh, <laughs> this has been the Three T RPG podcast. What's your name, Nick? Well, I've been Nick Lamley. Uh, yeah. Well, I've been James Clark, isn't it? <laughs> well, remember that three D twenties are cool, but Three T RPG podcast. Now that's a good time. See you oh. later, everyone. <laughs>